2: Get ready for the school year with Yumiko's annual back-to-school sale. Mix and match however you'd like within the basic collection, and upon purchasing two Leos, receive the third completely free. Whether you need black, burgundy, green, rose, or white, they have a handful of different styles to choose from. Kids and men's items are available to order, too. Yumiko is also excited about its virtual shopping events through Instagram Live. Two hosts showcase exclusive in-store options available to ship immediately, with different promotions offered at each session. If you haven't tuned in yet, be sure to check it out. The options shown are not available online, so it's the perfect opportunity to snag a unique Yumi at a discount. For more information on the back-to-school sale, live events, and summer stock availability, stay connected at yumiko.com and at yumiko on Instagram. I'm Rebecca King Ferraro.
1: And I'm Michael Breeden. And you're listening to Conversations on Dance.
2: Today we chat with Pittsburgh Ballet Theatre's newly appointed artistic director, Susan Jaffe. Susan was a principal dancer with American Ballet Theatre for 22 years, appearing prominently in the international dance scene and frequently dancing with Mikhail Baryshnikov. She retired from the stage in 2002 at age 40 and went on to serve as an advisor to the chairman of the board of American Ballet Theatre. From 2003 to 2010, she taught at the Jacqueline Kennedy Onassis School of American Ballet Theatre, and from 2010 to 2012, she worked with American Ballet Theatre as ballet mistress. Since 2012, Ms. Jaffe has been the Dean of Dance at the North Carolina School of the Arts in Winston-Salem. In April 2020, it was announced that Susan would be taking on the role of Artistic Director at PBT. We talked with Susan about her prolific career dancing with and for Barishnikov, her ambition, dealing with career stress, and her new position in the dance world.
1: So Susan, thank you so much for joining us today uh, via Zoom. Um, Your uh, appointment to the Artistic Director position at Pittsburgh Ballet Theater is really one of the few positives that are going on in the dance world right now, so we're really (laughs) Uh, definitely eager to talk about that, but we'd love to start with um, some of your career and um, start with a pretty standard question we ask all of our guests, which is when did you first fall in love with ballet and how did it lead to um, training?
0: Oh my goodness. Um, Well, I first fell in love with ballet when I was about seven years old and my mother had put me in a Modern dance class, and when I was younger, I had three aspirations: I either wanted to be a famous actress, or I wanted to be a famous singer, or I wanted to be a princess. <laughs> <laughs> and so I got two out of three. But anyway, right, I was um, going to say. <laughs> so when they put me, uh, when my mom put me in the um, contemporary class. And they were asking me to roll around on the floor like a dog basking in the sun or being an ice cream cone and melting. I thought to myself, is this what a princess does? (laughs) I don't think so. And so at the end of that year, I saw the ballet class and they were having a a little presentation. And so I said, mom, you know, that's what I want to do because they were so pretty with their little pink tights and their (laughs) cross ribbons and their hair was so pretty and, And so, um, so I went into that class, this was at the YMCA across Mm -hmm. the street from my house. And I, you know, I was a seven and a half year old kid and maybe eight years old. And you know, how serious can you be at that age? Um, But after about six months, I had a dream and I guess it must've been a prophetic dream, but in the dream. I was being raised in the air, and there was a big spotlight on me. And there were my crap, my classmates were running around me um, in a circle. And my little seven year old brain, eight year old brain went, Oh, I'm a star. <laughs> and
2: so That's I, amazing.
0: I woke up the next morning and my legs were killing me as if I had danced all night. And it was as if I became possessed. I mean, Cupid's arrow pierced my heart and there was nothing you could do to stop me from being a dancer.
2: So I don't mean to skip ahead, but I'm wondering if in your career, there are a few ballets where there's someone being lifted in the middle with the spotlight and the rest of the class or the court of ballet running around you. Did you have a few of those moments in your career on stage? A few. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh, that is so funny. I love that story. Um, So tell us about some of your early training. Um, Was your goal during those years to join ABT?
0: Um, I'm not sure. I mean, my mother took me to see the ballet at the Kennedy Center. And so we saw ABT and we saw New York City Ballet and National Ballet of Canada. You know, we saw all of them. And um, I do remember uh, seeing Cynthia Gregory and Rudolf Nureyev in Raymonda and one other performance when Cynthia Gregory was exiting as the white swan uh, struggling and exiting the stage as Mm -hmm. Rothbart was pulling her away. And it was so powerful that the entire audience stood up and started screaming And, you know, she wasn't doing anything. She wasn't, you know, doing 52, you know, pirouettes on her pinky finger. And she was just struggling, you know. And Mm -hmm. it was the most powerful moment. And I remember standing up at the audience, and I was just crying my eyes out. Mm -hmm. And I said to myself, I want to be Cynthia Gregory. (laughs) And so um, my teacher, her name is Hortensia Fonseca. And there was a little school in Maryland tiny little school called the Maryland school of the ballet, which is now the Maryland youth ballet. And, um, she would take us up to New York to get scholarships for the summer. So as when I was 12 or 13, she started taking groups of us to go up to New York to audition for their summer intensives. Mm -hmm. And so, um, but she was also, um, she she was a fantastic teacher. So, so I went up, my first year I went to SAB and I loved it. I thought SAB was amazing and all of that. But as I got older, I wanted to do, I knew I wanted to do story ballets mm-hmm. and ballet theater had a plethora of story ballets. Not that, yeah. you know, City Ballet didn't have those, but ABT certainly had more. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I moved over into ABT the following year. And so every, I was there for the summers until I, when I was 16, I actually stayed for the whole year and joined the second company of ABT.
1: Mm -hmm. How did that come about? Who told you, who invited you into the second company? And did you start to get a sense that the main company was a real um, possibility for you?
0: No, (laughs) no, no, no. Uh, I think I was invited by Richard England, who was the director of the, the, the ABT. It was called um, Ballet Repertory Company. And um, I was invited to to be there. There were 12 of us or something. But, you know, you know, when you're young, you don't think that this is special. I wasn't, it didn't occur to me that this, I mean, I kind of knew, but I wasn't focused on it. Um, and when... I was there, you know, as director was trying to spread the wealth and I was, you know, the star in my ballet school at home. Mm-hmm. And then I was amongst all the stars at all the ballet schools
3: mm-hmm.
0: from home. And so, you know, I did get some nice parts, but, you know, oftentimes I was lady Capulet in character shoes, walking across the stage in a long dress, you know?
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And so, um, I was sort of, um, I sort of got depressed, you know, and I thought, I, I'm just not sure, uh, my childhood dream is going to happen. Mm. And, um, one day we hear that Mikhail Baryshnikov is going to take over the company and he comes to see us in the studio company. And after that class, uh, the ballet mistress, her name was Gretchen Warren. She came up to me and she said, uh, you know, Misha thinks you're very talented. And I was like, "Uh, (laughs) are you talking to me? (laughs) (laughs) And so uh, she said, yes. And he thinks you're very talented. And so I was invited to join the main company audition, Mm -hmm. which had hundreds of dancers in there. And we all had our um, numbers on our chests you know, and after every combination, more people got eliminated. It was all very nerve wracking. And so at the end, there was a few of us standing and Charles France, who was Misha's assistant and Charles is gone now. Um, but he was a, he was a big character. Um, he Kind of looked like Harry, Henry VIII. He had that hair and he had, he was kind of a big stately man and he had, Pins on his lapel, like pearls and diamonds and things. He and he ta- he talked like Truman Capote, <laughs> and uh, he used to have these gigantic glasses, and he would always push them up because they always fell down. And he came up to me and he said, Mikhail Borisnikov thinks you're very talented. However, you're going to have to lose ten pounds by the <gasps> <end." laughs>
1: by the end of the summer.
0: Oh yeah but <gasps> well, that would never happen today right
1: thankfully, oh my gosh. That, would never, <laughs>
0: thankfully that would never happen today mm-hmm. um but that is what the the climate was uh mm-hmm. in the dance world and I was 5'3 and 112 pounds and they wanted me to get down to 102 and so I started laughing and you know because you know when you're young I just I, I wasn't I don't know. I just wasn't focused on I I just wasn't ambitious or somehow I don't know. I'm not 100% sure. But I said, Mr. France, you know, I've been on a diet for four years, how am I going to lose 10 pounds by the end of the summer. So they sent me to a diet doctor.
3: Hmm.
0: And every week I had to come into the office and Charles.
3: <laughs>
0: okay, now turn around and he would have me turn around to see if my rear end got smaller. So, anyway, um I lost 8 out of the 10 pounds and um I had to eat things like liver and onions and jello and things that I did not want to eat. Um but uh actually during that summer I was working with a choreographer and the director of the Berlin Ballet came to watch a rehearsal and he offered me a corfe contract Which was just that one little bump above the core And so I thought wow, I think i'm gonna go to berlin And so because (laughs) ballet theater was still you know withholding my contract and so I went to charles france And I said, um, you know i've just been offered a corfe By berlin ballet, and I think i'm just going to go to germany And like in two seconds, we're like, here, sign to the dotted line right there, you know, and they signed my contract. So, you know, but, you know, I wasn't even thinking that I was negotiating, you know. Right, right. I just was not aware of all these things. And so I joined the company and um, a very big tragedy. Two weeks before I joined the company, my mother passed away. And so I got into the company and I just grew my entire focus into into being there. And I was getting soloist roles and even some principal roles. And I was even dancing with Mikhail Baryshnikov in my first three months. So I was doing um, the Coquette and La Mm Sonambula. I was learning Bure Fantasque. I was learning um, uh, Apollo. I think it was apollo that first year anyway i mean it was just crazy and but i still you know i, I kept feeling like an imposter
1: hmm. well you were so young was that I was so young did you so you felt like you weren't ready in, um in terms of your is was it talent or age or stamina or what was really the primary mental block there
0: all of the above.
3: (laughs) (laughs)
1: I
0: I wasn't ready. It just wasn't ready. Um, I wasn't ready mentally, emotionally, physically. uh, I wasn't even focused on my talent. I wasn't sure, you know, um, but I, I kept thinking to myself, when are they going to find out that I don't know how to do this stuff? (laughs) That's what I kept thinking to myself. And, you know, after the first three months um, and, Gelsey Kirkland and Patrick Bissell did not show up to a dress rehearsal. And Misha came to me, and it was the first show. We were at the Kennedy Center, and it was the first performance of Misha's Reign. And he came up to me and he said, "Um, How would you like to go on in the place of Gelsey Kirkland? And it was a pot of No
2: problem.
0: (laughs) And I said, Oh, well, thank you very much. You know, but I'm 18. I just don't going to be in the back row and it's shortish doing the Ramonda, you know, and I, uh-huh. and he was like, Oh, you'll be fine. <gasps> so they, they drew me into a studio with Alexander Goodenough. And uh, two days later I was on the stage and I the only thing I remember about it, well, I remember that I couldn't, I felt like I couldn't even stand up because my legs were shaking so badly. Mm-hmm. And I had a, a veil over my face and the curtain went up and this big whoosh of cold air, you know, that mm-hmm. feeling, that whoosh mm-hmm. of cold air comes onto the stage. And I, and the lights were up and I could see my veil shaking and the music started. And that's
2: all I remember. <laughs> Isn't that funny?
0: The show, yeah.
2: Muscle memory just kicks in and you just did it.
0: I think I was just so, I, I just was so, it was such an out-of-body experience. Let's mm-hmm. just put it yeah. that way. And then suddenly I became somebody people wanted to talk about and I wasn't ready for that.
3: Right.
0: I was not ready. Um, and so what that did was that caused me to work so hard. Mm -hmm. try to catch up to whatever it is people were supposedly saying about me Mm -hmm. and I worked I did oh I was at Pilates every morning at eight on the machines not every morning but probably four days a week Um, I worked with a dramaturg I was every day off I was in a museum I was Mm -hmm. reading voraciously I wanted to be an artist you know I wanted to be you know, somebody who was deep and rich and, you know, and, and physically powerful. And um, I worked with uh, the guy who created gyrotonics, Julia Horvath for years. And I worked with a dramaturg and worked with him for years on my roles. And so I did all these extra things, because I felt that I
2: just was trying to catch up. So if everybody was kind of talking about you, there was clearly something special there and I find it in, It's interesting how people react to these situations. You could have easily slipped into, oh, well, I'm clearly awesome then. Like everyone's saying this about me. But you had almost the opposite approach and felt like you were still trying to prove yourself, even though clearly you had. Was there ever a temptation just to kind of sit back and relax and be like, okay, this is fine. I'm clearly doing the right thing. But, or was it just always like you felt like you needed to push yourself, just kind of that internal drive?
0: I'm still pushing myself. Um, (laughs) So I think it's just probably innate. You know, I think dancers have a tendency to be A types anyway. Um, (laughs) But I did. um, I also think dancers are very smart, Um, a lot smarter than we give ourselves credit for when we're dancing. Mm -hmm. Um, And then when we walk out of our Dance career, and once we get the lay of the land, we sort of get noticed that we're kind of putting it all together when other people aren't connect, you know. And so i I thought, wow, that's that's dance because we have to do, we have to multitask on so many different levels. Mm -hmm. Right? it's, It's emotional. It's spatial. It's musical. It's um, coordination and all the stuff that your body is just—it's—it's it's so intelligent, yeah. And it does feed your brain. Anyway, I, I went off on a tangent. Um, I like it. I love
2: it. <laughs> but, I like that, that. I was just going to say that that's one of my favorite parts about doing this podcast is that I think people don't always realize how intelligent dancers are and how much thought goes behind everything that they see on stage, and so it's really fun to be able. Be able to shine a light on that because there is such an innate intelligence. So I went off on your tangent, but yeah, we're back. thank
0: you. <laughs> and, and we're very detail oriented. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, it just—it just somewhere in the general area of just isn't quite good enough for us, right? We have totally. to hit the right. mark, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, actually, when I became a dean, I and I was—it was time for me to get an executive assistant. I said, I want a former dancer. Because a former dancer will get it done. Makes the best employees. Get it done. Yeah. We'll be meticulous and we'll get it done. And no matter what, you know, and I think that's, we're all like that. You know, I think Mm -hmm. we just have that because, because we've had to literally work with an imperfect instruments, our bodies, right? right? Mm -hmm. Beautifully, wonderfully imperfect asymmetrical um (laughs) you know i mean who has i mean barbie has a perfect body but that's it you know and (laughs) and 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 literally sculpt our bodies into something beautiful and something that creates poetry and emotion and story and um that takes a very special kind of person you know Mm -hmm. because you have to literally push through what Is almost impossible um, to do.
1: Right. Yeah. Um, I want to go back for one second and talk about that the moment when you went from, uh, you know, lose eight pounds, 10 pounds in five minutes to almost, you know, overnight, then you're doing, you're performing principal roles with with Bershnikov and other esteemed dancers of the era. So was that transition jarring? Or do you think that your youth insulated you?
0: <laughs> no, it was. I mean, it, let's, let's just put it this way. It was very jarring. Mm. Um, but something inside me, because I've seen I had seen dancers get opportunity mm-hmm. and crumble. Mm-hmm. and have to leave the company like literally can't handle it right and so i see i saw one two three i saw four dancers that happened to
3: mm-hmm.
0: and um i'm kind of a sir you know i'm i'm, I'm a survivor that my personality is that of a survivor and um i thought my god you know i mean how many people get this opportunity and I am going to do everything I can mm-hmm. to make sure that I don't lose this opportunity. Cause I could lose it. You know, I could right. become egotistical. I could get an eating disorder. I could go nuts. I could, you know, I could, I had a lot of choices as to what <laughs> I wanted to do. Right. right. Um, but I just thought I was gifted just, it, what a gift to have this opportunity. And mm. I was not going to, to I was going to do everything I could, you know, to, to ensure that I did everything I could. Right. And yeah. so um, it was daunting. I mean, there I was walking in the hallways and there was Makarava and Cynthia Gregory and Fernanda Bohonis and Goodenoff and Gelsey and, mm. you know, Baryshikov and all these people who I had grown up watching. And, you know, it was just very hard to feel adequate next to all these people. (laughs) Um, But I I just watched them and, you know, I tried to take everything in, you know. And I tried on, you know, I would watch a rehearsal and then I would go home and look in the mirror and try to do that gesture the same way. And I was trying things on, you know, and just Mm -hmm. sort of play acting like you do as a child, right? Mm -hmm. And so... That's how you start to develop um, your artistry. You first start by mimicking, I think, in the dance world, mm-hmm. is for lack of a better term, it's not really mimicking, but and then one day, because I and I kept thinking, you know, um, everybody, all those artists have so much to say,
3: mm-hmm.
0: and what do I have to say? Mm-hmm. I, I couldn't think of anything, you know. <laughs> I think I just grew up in Bethesda, Maryland. I didn't have this big exotic you know mm-hmm. defection from russia or you know all of the things right and so um after about 10 years ago back to rebecca uh initially um after about 10 actually or maybe it was you um after about 10 years i finally went okay now i'm sort of ready to be mm-hmm. jabby. right right and so but um it also came with a deep acceptance, which was hard for me um, to accept that I had something to say.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: And that we all, everybody has a story. Everybody has something important to say. and everybody has something that can that is deep and meaningful and and worth sharing. And that took a very long time to come to that acceptance. Mm-hmm. And then, and so it wasn't even like, well, now I accept that. And it's all great. You know, it was, it was, a, um, a, a, the sad is not the word. Um, but it was, a, I don't know. I can't even describe it. It wasn't joyful acceptance. It mm-hmm. was like, okay, now I've got this and now what, what can I do with this? Right. You know? This mm-hmm. soul, this spirit, this personality. What can I do with this? I've got to say something. And so that started a whole new journey. And that's where I started working with a dramaturg and Julie Horvath and all that sort of whole journey that right.
3: in that way.
2: We will return to Conversations on Dance in a Moment. But first, our friends at Fayette Virtual Ballet School are launching group classes starting on September 14th. Founded by Miami City Ballet School faculty member Francis Fayette and Miami City Ballet principal soloist Lauren fadley Fayette, Fayette Virtual Ballet School has been offering virtual private lessons since its inception in 2018. As students and their families grapple with making the decision of whether to return to in-person training, VVBS has created an affordable online group class alternative designed to offer regularly scheduled classes to different levels. Now accepting enrollments, students will be placed into one of four different levels within the program, with classes to fit every schedule. Train virtually with their world-class faculty from New York City Ballet and Miami City Ballet. Learn more at com or click the link in the description of this episode.
1: So in those 10 years, you were still having to go out there and do... You know, you, uh, you did your debut in Swan Lake super young. I think you were still a teenager. Yeah. You were doing all of the full length mm-hmm. rep. You, in addition to that, you, as you, the first ballets you named off were all Balanchine ballets. The rep was, Misha was bringing in different rep at that point um, from what ballet theater had historically done. So there were all these demands on you. Uh, but you said you weren't quite feeling ready. So, what were what was your performing experience like? Were you still able to enjoy yourself, or was it sort of no? Oh
0: <laughs> no! no.
3: <laughs> I
0: mean, you know, I mean, the mixture of exhilaration and fear, at mm-hmm. it that way. Um, right. So, is that enjoyable? Um, <laughs> to a certain extent. Sure. Um, and I remember when I did my first Gamzadi, oh my gosh, I was so not ready to be Gamzadi. And, you know, her legs were powerful and I just didn't, you know, I just didn't have a jump at that time or a strong enough jump in my view. And I was so nervous and I was dancing with Kevin McKenzie mm-hmm. for the first Gamzadi. And so I, we finished the Padexion and we walk over to those, uh, it's the throne, but it's just a, it's just a stool, really Mm -hmm. a gold colored stool. Right. And, uh, so I turn around and I look at Kevin and I'm trying to be very gamzati, you know, and I miss the stool. (laughs) 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 And he pulls me up, you know, and puts me down. So it was just all kinds of mishaps like that, um, Mm -hmm. Because I just didn't know what I was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, you know, it's so interesting because um, I think as as I as I got older, I certainly uh, recognized the, the things that I had to offer to the roles and all of that. Mm-hmm. Right. But um, I retired and somebody had given me a disc of my first performance at Podisclove with Good Enough. Mm-hmm. And now I was retired and I was working with students, right? So Mm -hmm. now you're on the other side and you're working with students and you say, oh yeah, this one's talented. He's talented. Um, This one, you know, this one's going to be a struggle and this one's really good, but there's no spirit there yet. Mm -hmm. And, and you're going through that whole thing, right? As a teacher. Mm -hmm. And so I look at the disc of my first performance and I was like, oh, I see what he saw, mm-hmm. you know, um, that that there was a lot of potential as an artist there. Um, mm-hmm. And and also, you know, I think one of the things that endears people to any performer is their perseverance and their passion. hmm mm-hmm right and so if you don't have that struggle if you don't have that yearning if you don't have that deep desire it's kind of not exciting to watch you
1: right,
0: right? so I th-
2: I think that's such a great um, lesson to be learned. I know Michael and I teach ballet as well. And when I teach my kids, I always try to tell them, like, remember on auditions, like the director, the teacher, they're not looking for perfection. They're looking for that potential to become something, right? And the ability to take corrections, to work, the drive, exactly what you're saying.
0: Yeah. You remind me of this um, story Um, was it last year? I think last year we did concerto barocco and Nilos Martin Mm -hmm. came and he said it on our students. And one night I walk in there and everybody just kind of looks, they're doing the core and everybody just looks kind of half there. Mm -hmm. So I, I, and I wasn't the rehearsal master, but I, I stopped and I said, can I just say something? And I asked him, I said, are y'all tired? no. (laughs) Oh. <laughs> you're not tired? No. I said, well then why aren't you putting, are you, I, I said, oh, I said, are you all upset because you're not doing the lead? Mm. And a lot of them went, you know, they put their hands on their <laughs> hips, you know, and Ooh. because one girl got a leading role and she wasn't um, sort of always seen as a lead so she had gotten this opportunity Mm -hmm. and so you know as you know uh in the dance world everybody thinks they're the ones that should have gotten that opportunity and you know and so i said guys i said when i was standing on the side the uh, first or third girl in swan lake in b plus when the ballerina was out there doing the the, the white uh, um, the white swan adagio, etc., and we had simple steps to do,
3: mm-hmm.
0: I was working on my B plus. I was working on my musicality. I was working on my perfection. I was working on my fifth position. I was, and I used every moment because I knew any moment that Barishikov would walk in that studio, <laughs>
3: mm-hmm. and I wanted to
0: be ready. You know. Yeah. And I said, you know, you don't just you don't just go into a studio and have a director go, oh, let's just try her. No, you have to be that person that that director goes like this and says, who's that? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's who you have to be. Right. And so I want you to be working in this studio because every time you work harder, you gain another layer and another layer another layer of experience and, and knowledge so I want you to be in these rehearsals acting as if Balanchine is going to walk in that door mm-hmm. and that that is what will progress you not sitting around complaining about oh, mm-hmm. I'm not the lead you have to be the lead before anybody decides you're going to
2: be the lead be the lead first mm-hmm. Also, just a reminder that those core steps are fantastic in Baroque, And a lot of times you do what the principal does so you can shine too. I,
1: from people know? who've done both core and principals, I've heard that the core is harder in Baroque, So it's a more because challenging. On stage
2: yeah. all day. Yeah, I mean, You
1: don't get, get to leave. Yeah. 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 You
0: never leave. It's true.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: yeah it's gorgeous. And every, like when I said to them, everybody in City Ballet, all those people in the core, they're all soloists.
3: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm
0: right? I mean, you cannot, you can't hide in Barocco. right? No. You just can't hide. So, you know, um, I, I think they got, they did get better, actually. Um, the mm-hmm. second run through was much better. So.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I also love that little motivator. You know, it's, I think it's okay to To play little mind games with yourself. You already talked about like trying something on from another dancer. I remember in Allegra Kent's book, she said when she was doing, I think it was Nutcracker or something, you know, when you do get to those sort of repetitive or maybe even dull moments, the sort of like rote routine exercise stuff that we do as dancers, that, you know, to be like, okay, well, today I'm going to do it. And in my head, I'm going to pretend I'm. Um, Darcy Kistler, and that, or like what you said, like I am going to pretend Balanchine is in the corner watching. Like you know, it's okay that we aren't always one hundred percent like gung ho for yourself, but then to to still have to pull motivation from somewhere.
0: You know? Yeah, I mean, you know, I remember uh, I did a performance in Brazil. we had finished our Met season. We went to Brazil, and I was so burnt out that season. I was mm. so tired, and. I had to do second act Viadaire, and I thought, "How the heck am I going to get through this show?" Mm-hmm. You know I had mm-hmm. the 50,000 Viaires, you know. Right. <laughs> and so I decided that day that I would just focus on the music.
3: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: I, so you've got to find something to motivate you, even if you're exhausted, even if you've done 15,000 performances of something, right. you've got to find something to, to inspire you.
3: Yeah.
2: I want to go back a little bit to how you mentioned that it took you about 10 years to kind of get into that acceptance place of who you are and what you had to say. Um, but you mentioned also that a lot of those performances during those 10 years were really scary and very nerve-wracking. So for a lot of dancers, we experience a lot of those nerves and stage fright. What were some of like the tips and tricks and things that helped you kind of navigate that and still get something from your performances?
0: Um, well, <clears throat> I had to do a lot um, to get myself. To not be nervous and to focus in a way, um, and I took up meditation and read voraciously about. Um, and a lot of it was spiritual, you know. Just who are we as human beings? What is humanity? Who am I? You know, it's all those questions that you you want to ask yourself, and um, and also. Um, how you understand how your mind can just play really dirty tricks on you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, I worked with a lot of different tools and it literally changed my life. It changed, you know, people kept saying what happened to Susan Jaffe? You know, she transformed. I mean, before she was just a technician and something happened and, Mm. um, it probably happened over the course of, I don't remember how, but anyway, they they all said, oh, it must be her new coach, Kolpakova. Now, I had a beautiful new coach, Irina Kolpakova, who was the um, ballerina, prima ballerina, the Kirov and Misha's mentor. And that's true. Um, but I think it was much deeper than that. It was much deeper than, of course, the coaching. Absolutely no question. But it was definitely much deeper than that. And so when I retired um, and I started working with students and I started working with professionals, I noticed that so much of their insecurities got in the way Mm -hmm. of actually getting to the information, getting to the artistry, getting to their true authentic self and I thought that's so sad, you know, because look at this like beautiful creature in front of me. Right. And she, mm-hmm. or he can't access it because there's all this stuff in the way. And so I kept thinking, you know, I, I need to write a book about, you know, how I help myself. I really need to, cause it, it changed my life. It changed my life. And so for years, like, Oh yeah, I got to write a book. I got to write a book. And then, um, Three years ago, three and a half years ago, I said, oh, no, it's not a book. It's a workshop. Ah. And <laughs> so I created a um, it's basically if I do it live, it's six hours of material. Wow, um, And it's got five introductory meditations in it, which are, you know, the longest one is, I think, 18 minutes. Um, and it I take you on a journey. Um uh, uh this is this is what you know, your perspective, don't always believe your perspective about yourself. Don't mm-hmm. always believe what other people think about you. Right. because um, if you always worry about what other think uh, other people think about you, you'll never become self-realized. And I just take you through this journey. Um and then adding in exercises. It's got a 40 page workbook. Uh as I said, five meditations, and by the very, very end, I get you to this place of envisioning, and and literally, as I said at the beginning of this interview, or somewhere at the beginning, um, mm-hmm. you have to be that person that Balanchine or wants to put on stage mm. before before you get there, right? And so that is at the end. I give you this exercise and meditation. It, to do exactly that right to become the person you have the potential to be like through your energy through your dna through your thought processes mm-hmm. and so um, <clears throat> and so that's what i did and I, it was just a, it was a labor of love it took me two and a half years to create and uh, i actually put it up online and um, uh, it's called oh.
2: How can people access it if they're listening?
0: Oh, well, you just go to <laughs> www.susanjaffey.com. And um, the it's called Susan Jaffe series and um, and then the actual course is called The Effect of Intention and so yeah
1: this is all reminding me when I was at SAB um, the JKA school had just started and a lot of my closest friends were there and I remember them all talking about your classes everyone loved you they all felt very close to you but a lot of it was primarily based on what you were offering I think from an emotional perspective or the sort of uh, mental aspect of performing and it sounds like it's really interesting to think now to follow as you've spoken, like to follow your journey from sort of confusion or discomfort with performing and then uh, acceptance and then how you impart that on your students. And now ultimately into this workshop, I think that's really a cool through line to follow there.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's really, I just thought, you know, this is, this is my gift to, to the dance world because you know, I look at other, you know, athletes have sports psychology, mm-hmm. yeah, right? And they get that support and mm-hmm. dancers don't have that support. There's a point your feet, you know, stand up straight, you know, they just do, do, do
3: what we say.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, all of those things, yeah. And, and, and what's different about us uh, with athletes is that we are interpreters
3: mm-hmm.
0: of human stories, right? So we have to know who we are. And in in order to um, in order to really be able to interpret any character authentically, you have to know who you are. And within, as you get to know who you are, you get to understand humanity on a mm-hmm. deeper level, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, so yeah. So that's why it wasn't just sports psychology for dancers; it was to get inside of yourself as well. Um, right. So cool. So.
1: You know, it sounds like you've obviously been accruing a lot of um, leadership skills um, over your time in the ballet world, and now that's sort of culminating in your position as Artistic Director at Pittsburgh Ballet Theater. Um, when did you become aware that the position was available, and why did you think that this would be a good fit for you?
0: Um, I think uh, being a dean kind of prepares you to be an artistic director. Um, I felt like my job here at UNCSA, I'm still in Winston right now. Um, Mm -hmm. I used to describe it laughingly um, that being a dean is like being in front of a tennis ball machine on high. (laughs) and and your job is to catch all the balls Mm -hmm. right and so um you have so many different aspects you know as a dean and um one of the things you know I hired a fantastic faculty and all of that but one of the things that I I thought you know it's such a shame that I just don't get to be in the studio all that much Mm -hmm. you know because I'm I'm busy taking care of my faculty the students the strategic plans fundraising you know I just And so I, you know, I always thought, gee, you know, I worked with all those legends and that's the way the dance world passes on knowledge is people. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I did think that maybe one day if the right artistic director job came up, that that is what I would, I would go for it. I'd throw Mm -hmm. my hat in the ring. And so this one came up and, you know, this company is, um, has all the, all the elements to it. It's got full length. It's got Balanchine. It's got contemporary ballet. It's got this whole array of, of repertory and sort of similar to what I grew up with. Mm -hmm. And so it just felt like a really good fit. And then also Terrence Orr was a ballet master at ballet theater. And one of my heroes when I Mm -hmm. was uh, just brand new in the company. And Mm -hmm. so uh, I thought, God wouldn't it be amazing if i could
2: he could hand that company off to me mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> and
2: so um so I applied just before we let you go in one minute. I have just one more question. If there was one element about company life that you've experienced in the past that you would like to change as a director, what would it be
0: um You know, I think communication has to happen. Uh, uh, Just a deeper communication. I really don't want dancers to be afraid. Mm
3: -hmm.
0: Um, That really bothers me. And it bothered me as a dancer. Um, Mm -hmm. I don't think that making dancers afraid is actually even good for the company. It's not even good for you. Right. <laughs> right. It's not good for the performances. It's not right. good for the dancers. You know, they don't actually come to self-realization if they're always at a high cortisol state mm-hmm. right. and, worried and all of that. Um, and so uh, I, I really don't like that sort of, it's not that I, you know, it's not that I wouldn't be the one making the decisions or, you know, all of that. But I don't want it to be sort of authoritarian kind mm-hmm. of, you know. Um, I, we're all there to, I'm there to nurture out of them what they can do for themselves. And then, therefore, for the company. And that yeah. is, I think, uh, something I would really, it, it was, a, it's not that I had an authoritarian uh, artistic sure. director sure. But I do know that that has you've seen it. it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. So well, that's yeah.
1: We yeah. think those dancers are just so lucky to have yeah. you, and we can't wait to see what's in store for you and the company.
0: Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you, guys.
2: Thank you for joining us this week. If you would like to support the Conversations on Dance podcast, there are a few ways that you can help click over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. Download episodes when you listen to allow our analytics to better understand our listenership. Join our Facebook group, Conversations on Dance, Friends of the Pod, or you can offer a donation. Conversations on Dance has always been and will always be free to our listeners. You can help us continue to create and produce this unique behind-the-curtain look at the dance world by visiting conversationsondancepod.com support. Thank you for tuning in. See you next week.